Welcome back, everyone, to our next installment of the Podcasting Guild, Babylon 5. As ever, I'm Eric, the intelligent one of the pair of us, and I'm joined by Andrew, who I make sound less intelligent through magic of editing. That that was a weird way of saying the good-looking one, but <laughs> okay, I'll take it, I guess. The good-looking one, yes. You got beauty and brains over here. That's what we got going for us. Thanks for that, Eric. We <laughs> You're <were> welcome. <laughs> well, we haven't come up with a uh, solid intro yet, so I'm trying new things with these episodes. You know, we need to come up with a standard intro. I think that's a good start. Good, yeah, yeah. I think you're onto something. Real, real pinky in the brain vibes. Yes. Uh, on this show, one is a genius, the other's insane. I hope <laughs> our audience. You know, I'm, I'm, I got to assume they're roughly our demographic so hopefully they, they've watched pinky in the brain i'm sure most of them have at some point hey eric i liked this episode you did this was a great episode yeah you know I, you know we'll talk about it but this episode you know it's like when you watch citizen kane or blade runner or one of these yeah. classic movies and you're like oh I've seen things that reference this all the mm-hmm. time, and now I know what they're referencing. I don't. I'm sure this wasn't the originator of you know this kind of dude becomes a god through military experimentation kind of plot arc. Yeah, but I mean, if this came out in '95, this predates. When did Akira come out? Do you know Akira? Yeah, yeah. I, I should have looked this up before. 1988 okay all right all right a full seven years before this aired so not the originator but uh yeah when we'll get to it we'll get to it yeah but i i love this not just because it you know had this classic plot arc but uh i just i thought it was a great episode i thought it was a great episode i liked the a plot and the b plot Mm -hmm. there were some pretty funny beats in it Yep. As soon as someone says it's really risky, the you know the commander was like, "Risk, risky. Oh, I'm here. Here I am. Yes, risky. Yes, please. Uh, yeah, he was he was all about them risks. Yeah, should we should we get into it, Eric? Do you have anything to say before we before we jump right in? Yeah, let's dive into it. Let's dive into it. Well, you know, the first note I have is I'm looking forward to my visit. The guy who who shows up, who we learn is like a fugitive of right. the of the psy core or yep. you know the the psychics, the psy core, yeah, the psy core, and he spends the first third of the episode talking as creepily as possible. I think that's which, a common you know, common thread with uh, guest stars in this series. Yeah, for sure. He also looked familiar. And I, I should have Googled like uh, what the actor's name was and seen what else he was in, but he struck me as familiar. I couldn't tell mm-hmm. him. Anyway, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll look him up before I just start saying like who, who I thought he looked like. But uh, this this is a poor start, by the way. I don't know. Maybe I haven't had my coffee today. So let's talk about the first scene that I that like got a got a belly laugh out of me, which mm-hmm. was in the elevator with <laughs> oh you better tell me her name now because this this episode was all about the psychic. Uh, yeah, Talia. Talia, thank you. Talia talking about how oh you know s- strong thoughts or strong emotions are hard to keep out, which then pans to Garibaldi behind her on the elevator, <laughs> checking, checking her out. <laughs> checking checking out her assets having some strong thoughts about it yeah <laughs> and she and of course you know they don't there's no words exchanged she just elbows him hard yeah uh that was that was a great moment i love that i don't know is that is the me too movement coming to uh babylon 5 yes it is it is but i think that was you know a good way of showing and telling at the same time right i thought that was pretty funny and you no, know, with this being a telepath centric episode, this really sets some of the, the plot points going forwards for the arc of the telepath story in the in the series. Well, I love it. I, I I'm here for it. I really enjoyed this episode. There were a few times when I was like, I think they forgot that these people are supposed to be psychic. You know, like mm-hmm. a few of the plot points don't quite work when you remember that everyone is psychic but other than that <laughs> yeah uh, i really enjoyed it i yeah I, I liked these sort of humorless ominous sort of government men you know 
Yeah. Like the, the, the smoking man from the X-Files kind of vibes from the two Psy cops who showed up. Did you recognize them? Did, uh, did I recognize the Psy cops? Yeah. No. Should I have? <laughs> well, the lead Psy cop, Alfred Bester, is played by Walter Koenig, who played Chekhov on Star Trek. Oh, no kidding. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. And this is actually the introduction of a seasonal character he comes back a couple times every season and i think he's one of the best recurring characters in the series well he i mean he stole the show in this episode he was excellent there were definitely some uh scenery chewing uh parts there where he was just like having really a lot of fun there oh yeah oh yeah in fact i he he made me think of the soul hunter episode where i you know i commented that that actor's you know ability to just sort of talk ominously was meant Mm -hmm. to like carry the weight of the threat he was supposed to represent and i wasn't sure that it really worked this guy totally worked (laughs) you got really ominous creepy sort of vibes Mm -hmm. out of him so yeah way to go way to go wesley (laughs) yeah it's interesting because um walter koenig was actually interviewed about his time on babylon 5 because you know he's well known in the sci-fi community for playing a, a, a well-loved character on Star Trek. Um, okay. And I remember in his interview that he actually, in some instances, uh, enjoyed his time more on Babylon 5 just because he was able to play an entirely different character from what he did on oh, Star totally. Trek. Like on Star Trek, he's like this this friendly, lovable kind of goofball. And he kind of was typecast for a long time in that role. Um, and then here he actually got a have some of his acting chops and show that he could actually do a bit more than just be the the goofy russian guy oh well that's great you know yeah i i did i did watch star trek growing up but i definitely was not a trekkie yeah there's very few shows i watched that i could tell you what the names of the actors were Mm -hmm. that's awesome though and totally checks out i've heard from a few different actors that playing bad guys or at least morally ambiguous characters are the most fun and the most interesting yeah. And I can totally see that, yeah, once you're once you're stuck playing this, like, you know, happy-go-lucky sort of, uh, you know, young, chipper t- lad type, <laughs> getting to play this really sort of this shadowy, ominous figure, uh, yeah. yeah, that's got to be a cool break. Well, I thought he did a, an outstanding job. I, yeah. thought, I thought he was a way better ominous i keep using the word ominous i need to find a a synonym for that (laughs) but i thought he he instilled a lot more fear in me than did his partner his partner you know she gave me blade runner vibes she she did which maybe was on purpose because blade Mm -hmm. runner was a huge uh you know cultural cultural movie for for sci-fi but like i i actually thought they were both great yeah, yeah. i like this episode the a plot was great this the idea that uh well let's talk about there are yeah. uh one of the introductory scenes we get is you know they're they're out there just casually like in certain instead of talking they're not yeah. talking in the first first few scenes we see them they're like inserting their words into people's brains and so basically, it's just them looking at people. Then the people say like, "Oh yeah, oh you're from the Psycorps. Okay, no problem. Right this way." Yeah. And then finally, the captain is like, "Hey, don't do that. Talk like a normal person." <laughs> I thought you people had rules about this. Yeah. And the first things they say are like, "Not that, not that inspiring." You know, don't inspire confidence. They're like, "Oh, there are rules, and then there are rules." Yep. Commander, and she said, <laughs> <laughs> "I wrote that down." commander it's like oh yeah all right you would pronounce everything as pretentiously as possible she's the she's a villain so i'm allowed to, yeah I'm allowed villains to in tv always have british accents right <laughs> it's true it's true anyone anyone who's supposed to be like imperious and like arrogant you know it's like we'll slap a british accent on them to really yeah. sell it exactly <laughs> Oh, and uh, so okay, our fugitive. Mm-hmm. By the way, Eric, are you? Are, you know, there's big silences here. Feel free <laughs> to jump in with your own striking and insightful commentary. Oh, I will. Uh, I most definitely will. But lacking that, <laughs> here I go. <laughs> the the fugitive guy, the, the 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 person that these cops are hunting. 
yeah uh is shown to his room and we and this is the first time where we get a glimpse as to like what's wrong with him because he you know he sort of closes his eyes and grimaces and the whole room shakes yeah and you know first of all you're on a space station everyone would feel that yep because everything's connected basically (laughs) you know it's not like a building on earth where you have all this dirt and earth around you to absorb it and even that if an apartment next to you was shaking you'd feel that yeah so i don't know i don't necessarily buy that they didn't have more early warning about this guy he is after all vibrating the whole space station well maybe he's just vibrating the tables and the lampshades you know maybe not the entire station at that point you can't say for sure it's true i mean you can't but you know i <laughs> just think about like again in your apartment your neighbors are shaking their their furniture you're going to get some of that. But fair fair point. Fair point. Very yes. localized shaking. But you know what really struck me about this scene is when they were talking about how long something was going to take. Mm-hmm. They said three or whatever number it was. Standard rotational earth cycles. Yep. Just say days. Why does calling it that help anyone understand anything? Well, because days are different depending on where you're from. Right? I mean, what if he's from Mars? Say Earth days. <laughs> Standard yes. rotational cycles? What? Just say days. Well, you know, businesses have all their own business lingo and stuff like that. It's probably just like their business lingo. Well, the implication is that, you know, it's it's to help people understand what <laughs> time to take, right? Because yeah. not everyone lives on Earth. And, you know, fair enough. Fair enough. Days are different lengths. But Earth Day should be perfectly clear. <laughs> the idea being that, oh, if they don't speak English, they don't speak American, Earthican they won't know what a day is well fair enough but now instead of knowing just what one word means you know they don't just need to know that one word days they need to know what standard means <laughs> rotational cycles these are all much more nuanced words than just the word days just say earth days right so well, there's my rant when has business ever used easy language they've always made it more complicated but that's the thing is even like business corporate speak yeah it, it obfuscates more than it illuminates it totally does but they're they're all sort of pithy and catchy true there's very few you know standard rotational cycles no it'd be it'd be like earth synergies synergy yeah oh the the round wraps oh yeah yeah <laughs> you know it would be some, exactly something that someone threw on a powerpoint yeah you know <laughs> rolled their sleeves up to make mm-hmm. it look like they did all the hard work yeah and then they came up okay. with it five minutes before i don't know if you guys are here now that that's my dog jingling behind us i took zoe's collar off so she doesn't make as much noise <laughs> oh well I, you know i didn't do that because i'm not <laughs> a professional like you of course yes the, the fugitive's name by the way is jason ironheart Mm-hmm. which is a great D D name that's a good name that's a solid it's name. it's almost a little on the nose honestly i was a little surprised they went with it i was like yeah that's... and you know when they say fugitive they don't refer to him as a fugitive he's a rogue telepath oh yeah a rogue that's oh my god you're right maybe it was on purpose <laughs> jason ironheart the rogue telepath yeah well and as they're telling him this they're talking to commander sinclair and talia in the commander's office and apparently talia knew well not knew in the biblical sense yes uh, very jason much. back in the day and so they're questioning her about it and then they're like oh we're gonna have to to check we're gonna have to read your mind and then and she's like oh god don't do it yeah like this is it's a terrible thing don't do it and the commander's like hold on oh this seems highly unknown and he's like oh no 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 we're allowed to do this and he's like you can leave or you can watch and i'm like whoa they're just gonna do it right here in the office yeah like that's a bit much you know (laughs) you know even if cops show up and are arresting some someone you know from an office they don't do the interrogation right there <laughs> you know like in their skit manager's office chair i don't know that was pretty like that was, that seemed like a power move yeah like oh we could go to the med bay we could go to a private room but no we're gonna do this right here in your office commander. and there's no good cop bad cop here they're just both bad cops <laughs> 
No, in fact, a little good cop, bad cop probably would serve them well because if anything, they they just sort of accentuate each other's creepiness. And yes. you can tell that it puts people off. Sinclair, Garibaldi, they're all very standoffish mm-hmm. to these two. And you got to wonder, these people can read minds. Surely they can adjust how they present themselves with excellent, unfiltered feedback. Mm-hmm in that they can read the minds of the people they're interacting with. Like, they should have a very polished presentation. The fact that they're (laughs) creeping everybody and their dog out, I don't know. These guys don't seem to... I mean, true to life, I suppose, right? I mean, law enforcement is in the the news all the time for lack of... I guess guess decorum would be vastly (laughs) understating it. But, you know, fair enough. True to life. But you'd think if these guys made an effort, made half an effort... Mm-hmm. They could be the smoothest talkers. Everyone would love them. Everyone would get yeah. along with them. You know, what is this going through inserting words into your mind <laughs> nonsense? Clearly a lot of people are, you know, have a problem with that. Why are you why are you being antagonistic? Honestly, I think the character of Besser kind of revels in that. I think you kind of see it in his actions and kind of you see it later on when he engages Garibaldi on the ops deck. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. I think he no, kind of revels in that. Right. You're absolutely right. Yeah, they, they have no interest in being good cops, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, I think you're right. I think they do. Uh, you know, he definitely has a bit of a sadistic streak. Mm-hmm. I love that interaction with Garibaldi. That was great, yeah. <laughs> that was great, and especially because you could imagine exactly what Garibaldi yeah. was thinking based on this guy's uh, response. Yeah, you don't is... hear what Garibaldi actually says. Just it is also, by the way, the opposite of what was happening in the first few interactions where... Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. What's the what's the we're going to talk about him a lot. I better learn his name. What's the guy's name? Uh, Bester. Bester. Alfred Bester. Alfred yeah. Bester. Oh yeah, Alfred's a great. Yeah. Yeah. Great one. <laughs> yeah, but you know the earlier in the episode where Bester is standing silently and the other people are responding to him. Here it's Garibaldi standing there silently and Bester responding to him. Right. And of course, what it raises the question of like Bester, if you if any time you were going to put your thoughts directly into his head now would be the time <laughs> yeah <laughs> but no he he says all that out loud so mm-hmm. i think you're right i think he revels in it he must yeah before we get too far along in the oh, yeah. uh, a plot let's circle back on the b plot um well hold on hold on yep, real okay. quick because i just want to talk about the the scene that we were just talking about but sure. then we'll circle back which is when he does sort of read talia's mind mm-hmm it's a very traumatic process for her and it's like a really you know they put their hands up they're shaking yeah you know it reminds me of watching that south park episode all those years ago <laughs> right having having the mind wars mm-hmm. which which honestly now that i think about it probably was because the those showrunners of south park watched the show back well this day. episode was titled mind wars by the way <laughs> i did i did yeah mind war I don't I yeah. think it was just mind war, yeah, mind singular, war. which I have to say, I found a little, I mean, maybe they were playing off of Star Wars or whatever, but mm-hmm. it's, it sounds like the off-brand version of what the real title <laughs> of the episode was. Anyway. Yeah. But okay, my question was, why was it such a production to read her mind where their, hand, their hands were shaking and he's you know looking like giving the death stare right at her and 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 she's you know writhing and Mm -hmm. like she reads people's minds all the time like she just casually read someone's mind in the scene before this that we're going to talk about in a second yeah why was this such a production i think in this case because they were doing a deep scan right so they were going like into her memories and maybe places that she was trying to protect even and so um, whereas Talia, I think, was just like reading surface thoughts in that previous just, scene. Just the tip, usually. Yeah. Just the time. tip, exactly. And this time exactly. they went all the way in in that situation. Right, right. <laughs> I immediately regret that analogy. But okay, all right, all right. Fair enough, I guess. Yeah, uh, it's a know. deep scan after all. It's very deep in that. Yeah, that one. Yeah, this is deep thoughts. Yes eric and andrew you're right we should talk about the b plot because i liked it i liked the b plot and i wasn't i didn't think i was gonna like it because actually this episode opens on part of the b plot you know the hero which is uh captain sinclair's lady friend who we meet in the previous episode 
mm-hmm. go, goes off and has her own adventure. Yep. And I thought it was going to be more sort of r- relationship angst. Yeah. And I was sort of rolling my eyes, but that was not the case. She actually has her own thing going on, yep. which I appreciated that she wasn't just Captain Sinclair's lady. She was, even though that's, I don't know her name, so that's how I've been referring her, but she had her own, her own plot arc and her own, uh, right. her own little story with your car going on. Yeah. She does get her own story. Uh, she gets a few like side stories here and there, but she doesn't make too many appearances after this, if I recall correctly. Um, okay. but so don't, don't get too attached. Yeah. Yeah. They start to get into the meat of the overarching, storylines uh going forwards here um and this is kind of one of the establishing parts for that but basically she's working for a company that's like prospecting for something right and they find that something on this planet doesn't matter what the planet is called doesn't want matter what the something is called (laughs) but they find it on the planet and they want her to go and prospect and sort of yeah prospect for it i guess i don't know basically confirm it's there yeah. yeah exactly do yeah i'm not in the mining industry i don't know what <laughs> what anyone does look but okay but here's the catch it's in disputed space and so they need the narn's permission basically <laughs> and so she gets to talk to jakar and i have to say this is the front nicest jakar we've seen yet yep this jakar you know you could you could get a beer with this jakar <laughs> Well, he does say that not everyone is as they may first appear. That's absolutely true. That's absolutely true. And you can tell that that's as much directed as at the audience as it is Mm -hmm. uh, at at this character. Right. No, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I think it makes sense that they can't have Jakar just be as dickish as he was, especially in the pilot. Yeah. He was really a nasty character in the pilot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're sort of pulling back on that and just instead of just making them evil making them one pole of a many polar w- right verse right this anyway. is where he starts to become a three-dimensional character at this point right you know? they start to well, the, build that out. specifically what he does is is talking to sinclair's lady friend he's like hey don't uh don't go there bad things happen there strange things happen there and she's like uh-huh oh you're just you just want to save it for yourself <laughs> I don't believe you. I'm going to go anyway. Yeah. And then when she takes off, there's this short scene of him calling back home being like, Hey, I need, I need some heavy fighters. Yeah. Send them. And then he you know, says whatever the planet she's heading to. Mm-hmm. So the, the show makes you think that he's, he's going to ambush her or something. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Which would be totally in character for, right. for what we've seen from Jakar so far. But she, should we just, I mean, should we run through the B plot? We're yeah. 25 minutes into this, so yeah, let's let's uh, let's talk about the B plot, and then we'll circle back and talk about again one of my favorite one of my favorite plot arcs so far. <laughs> By the way, folks, we are professionals here, so don't attempt us at home. I'm just saying. Are we? Because I don't make any money from this, Eric. <laughs> oh, make, if, yeah. Uh, I'll get right on that. I need to pre-order my Ferrari, so <laughs> whenever those fame and riches are about to pour in let me know i will be sure to do that i'll tell my banker to get right back to you in a little bit yeah there you go do you know what a banker does Eric? That's, not, <laughs> that's not what a banker does yeah so let's yeah let's go through the the rest of the b plot here and because it's a rather short b plot but it's it is it is neat. all in all it only has like five scenes in it yeah uh, but yeah they, and they're sprinkled throughout the episode so basically she gets to this planet and she's just kind of like chuckling to herself. Oh, Jakar, you, you, you know, <laughs> shithead. Like, I, I knew you were lying to me. Yeah. And then out of nowhere comes like, it, it, you don't even know what. It's yeah. some kind of crazy. It's it's like a huge disc. Yeah. With crazy purple light. And oh, wait, hold on. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Back up. Back up. <laughs> back up, everybody. She shows up. Yes. She shows up to the planet and she tells the computer, go into parking orbit. Which, first off, I just love that in the future there's parking orbit. <laughs> yeah. Like, but, okay, parking orbit is, is notable, especially, I thought it was funny when I first heard it. But a moment later, so this thing attacks her, this, this huge, strange something. Yep. 
uh, you know, comes out of nowhere, sucks all the energy out of our ships. He has no power, no backup power. And it's like orbit deteriorating. Yeah. And I was thinking, wait a minute. <laughs> wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You can tell when any, you know, anytime some physics shenanigans <laughs> are going on, you know, been out of shape about it. Yes. What are you talking about? A parking orbit isn't stable. Why is it a parking orbit? Like, it's not that hard to go into, you know, even so, even when you hear an unstable orbit, mm-hmm. that usually means that it's deteriorating on the order of like, I mean, usually it's on the order of centuries or millennia right. or, you know, like the moon is in an unstable orbit. It's slowly getting farther and farther away mm-hmm. and over like millions or billions of years it eventually, but you know, so for a, a, an orbit to be so unstable that she gets like two and a half hours, <laughs> what, what the hell kind of parking orbit was this? What par- parking for what parking <laughs> over the edge of a cliff? She must've got the cheap AI for her computer and they just put her in like (laughs) an orbit that was already dragging on the atmosphere before she even lost power or something yeah yeah you know the kind of parking orbit that takes constant expenditure right that's what that's what parking means right that's what that that stuck out to me too it's like you know if you're geostationary over it you don't just start dropping because you don't have power that's not how it works (laughs) you know the thing was like they didn't necessarily need to have her orbit deteriorate in her craft. Yeah. Like her being stranded would also be a fatal, you know, if, if no one came to rescue her. So they still could have had Jakar, spoiler alert, mm-hmm. send those fighters to come rescue her, even without grinding the, <laughs> the heel of their boot into my beloved orbital physics like yeah. they did. I mean, the simple thing to do would have been like, oh, I only have air provisioned for like a five hour trip and I didn't restock exactly. my air supplies while I was at the exactly. station. Exactly. Yeah. That would have been easy. Uh, <laughs> or or the damage the thing caused caused uh, you know, a crack in the thing and she's yeah. on emergency air. Or exactly, exactly. They they had plenty of other <laughs> op- options for why she was in imminent danger. Yes. And more than that. They didn't need to have her say parking orbit. <laughs> she could have shown up, didn't even have time to establish a stable orbit. Then she's attacked. And now, oh no, I'm falling into the planet. But no, yeah. they specifically established that she she was in a parking <laughs> orbit. I can't, you know what? I said this was a great episode. I take it back. I take <laughs> it back. No, okay. It was a great episode, but that was pretty silly. Well, maybe they should sign you up to be the uh, the scientific uh, advisory person for the new reboot of the series, so they can get that stuff right next time. Yeah, I you know I'll take it, I'll take it. And instead of providing good advice, I'll just rage about the decisions they made in the nineties. <laughs> <laughs> Babylon Five isn't nearly big enough to create Earth-like gravity. You know, yes. you just you you don't see it spinning. You don't see it spinning that fast. It would have to be spinning really fast if it's that small. You you know, you get a scale from the windows. They yeah. have shots where they zoom out from a window. You can see how big the window is. It's not spinning fast enough. All right, here we go. <laughs> Moving. Yeah. Um, so basically, the, the B-plot resolves in that uh, the, the two fighters that Jakar sends that it's sort of implied she's sending them to you know go do bad things to her end up saving her and of course when she gets back having eaten a big slice of humble pie she has this interaction again with Jakar where he reiterates oh no one's what they seem and uh you know it would have pissed off the commander if you had died and (laughs) something something and actually you know all that was well and good but what I really liked was she asked what was it and he gave her this answer like, oh, there are, you know, ancient and terrible things out there, which uh, we are to them as ants are to us, that, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. I thought that was great. That was a great uh, line. Yeah, that was a great line. And I mean, you know, you and I play Stellaris, mm-hmm. which, by the way, anyone, anyone who's fans of Babylon 5, which I'm assuming anyone listening to this probably is or, or someone who knows us, I don't know who personally <laughs> 
if you love Babylon 5 and you haven't played Stellaris, you haven't lived. It's like, <laughs> right? I mean, it's Space yeah, Empires. It is. You can basically live out what Babylon 5 might have been like through Stellaris. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, hi- highly recommend. It's a it's game by Paradox. But uh, we should get them to yeah, sponsor anyway. us. <laughs> yeah, we should. we're doing a lot of free advertising here. But, you know, they have lots of sort of space leviathans and, oh, things older than time from right. other dimensions, stuff like that. So, you know, I was familiar with the trope, but I still thought it was just a lovely bit of like, uh, you know, all the universe is vast and ancient. And even though this is the distant future where we have, you know, scientific advancement on par with magic, you know, every, it's still a mysterious and unknown yeah. universe. I like that kind of sentiment, too. It's cool that hey, we've explored all this, but there's still more mysteries to learn about. Oh, I completely agree. I completely agree. I mean, as a fan of D&D sort of adventurous games, like that's sort of the fertile ground that adventure grows in. You know, in a world where everything is mapped and you have, you know, national borders, like you can tell different kinds of stories. But if you want stories about like heroic adventuring out in the, you know, in the dangerous wilderness, you kind of have to have... The greater universe be mysterious and unknown right. and and dangerous which this episode definitely established the babylon 5 universe yeah is. it's a great world building episode i think this establishes a lot of cool world elements in the series you get the telepathic connections you get the ancient mysterious entities roaming the universe and, and kind of establishing yeah. those Completely those elements agree. are cool Completely agree. So, okay, so basically that was the B-plot. So back to the main plot arc of this uh, of this episode, which was this psychic fugitive named Rogue Jason. Telepath. Who, Rogue telepath. Telepath, sorry. Yes. Who, who, we, who we learn, you know, was an instructor, and then they started doing experiments on him. And, you know, like Akira, if, any, if you've seen the anime movie Akira, or uh, what was the other one? the other i think another anime or oh actually stranger things did this too where (laughs) where 11 was the product of you know this classic like oh you know they were already they were either normal or or already had some kind of powers and then the military or these the secret the secret suited men the guys in the black uniforms like the guys in in the black uniforms exactly had guys in white coats (laughs) do science to them (laughs) and it worked beyond their wildest dreams and now they're they're like godlike in their powers and they escaped and in our hubris we think we can still stop them Mm -hmm. that was basically the the long and short of what (laughs) (laughs) what the two uh psychic cops told uh sinclair yeah but this guy like can't control his power, so so he's kind of like tearing Babylon Five apart. So they have to deal with him somehow, right? And in fact, one of the times that he sort of loses control of his of his powers, and the whole station begins to shake. The two uh, you know psychic cops look at each other, and they're just like mind quake. <laughs> <laughs> like oh, okay, this happens all the time. Yeah. Just a just a bit of a mind quake. Enough to have a name for it. Enough to have a name for it. Before he interacts with those Psycops, though, he actually has a face-to-face meeting with Sinclair and Talia, right? Who's, who's he? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, Einhard, yeah, Jason. Yeah. yeah, 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 he does. So just after the deep scan of Talia, he actually inter- interacts with Talia to tell her what's going on, and then she brings Sinclair to meet with him a little bit later on. And he talks about how the... Psychor is trying to get control of everything on Earth, starting to lay the threads for this ongoing conspiracy storyline, right? Where, like, what's going on with Psychor and all these individuals? And uh, I think it was a cool thing that they were talking about. Like, they wanted telekinetics not to move big things, but to control really small things, you know, so they can turn in, turn them into silent assassins, basically which I thought was a, a cool concept. On one, I think that's not really explored with, with telepaths or telekinetics and other series. Like with Star Wars, it's like throwing stuff around all the time. And, you know, maybe Vader does choke people a little bit, but, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's more about throwing big things around and stuff like that. And they really go into more of like wanting to make telepaths into these super beings to 
make assassins to go out there and take care of threats to the home yeah. world. No, I thought I thought that was cool too, and and it's I like that it sort of directly confronts you know the one question you that I always had whenever a show where somebody has the power to move things or control mm-hmm. things. It's like, yeah, why couldn't they just pinch your carotid artery? Or why couldn't yeah. they just like put, you know, four ounces of pressure on, you know, the connecting vertebrae you know, right. in, in your skull, right? Or like, you know, Avatar, The Last Airbender has a great episode where they finally address, well, like, why can't waterbending be used on, on blood or, right. you know, airbending be used on breath? You know, so like... You know, I did like that they were like, oh, yeah, well, if you can control things precisely enough, you could, you know, murder people. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I thought that was very, I thought that was very interesting. I did like that they are sort of incorporated instead of just grudgingly acknowledging at one point that, oh, yeah, I guess if you're evil, you could do this. No, it's Mm -hmm. like the central point, which is like, oh, yeah, if you're telekinetic, you know, you could. The thing is, though, I'm not totally convinced that being able to assassinate someone with your mind is necessarily such a massive game changer. Like it's already the case that, you know, with, with different sort of neurotoxins and, Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, look at, look at all these like poisonings that Russia has been, you know, uh, careful, careful carried out and stuff. Yeah, I know. I know. Right. I think we actually do have one download for Russia. So, you know, Putin, if you're listening, cut it out with the Novichok. Yeah, But like, it's already the case that just being in proximity with someone is sufficient to deliver a lethal mm-hmm. something to them. So it's, you know, it wasn't obvious to me that, you know, having a psychic be able to do this would fundamentally change the nature of security. Yeah. You know, already having access to, to the, per, you know, the physical person of someone higher up is, is something that we restrict right now mm-hmm. today in the modern world and we don't have any telekinetics well nothing keeps the government particularly the military from looking at every weapon they can i suppose so this is probably something along those lines another weapon in the arsenal it's true it's true but you know governments are very wary of introducing weapon systems that non-state actors can get a hold of and can't be they, they can't right. sort of control the distribution of and having the ability in your brain to do this mm-hmm. seems like the ultimate example of a, of a weapon system you couldn't you couldn't keep control of necessarily. Yeah. Like, how would you? How could you possibly stop someone from just uh, you know being telekinetic or mm-hmm. so? Anyway, I hear what you're saying, and and, and uh, you know, I do love the plot arc. I, it's just funny to think about. The, yeah, the implications. Yeah. Implications exactly. Exactly. Oh man, there is also a scene here where Talia is talking to Sinclair and is sort of has this impassioned <laughs> sort of plea for why you know she pities Jason. Mm-hmm. But the whole impassioned plea essentially boils down to her describing in great detail, essentially what a what a like a telekinetic orgasm feels like. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm like, this is not safe for work, Talia. This is, you know, these are mm-hmm. things that Commander Sinclair might not want to hear about your, your <laughs> romantic past. You know what else is not safe for work? They didn't have those uh, roller coaster restraints on the thing again this time. You know, I, I did note that. <laughs> I noted that the, the transports were sans roller coaster harnesses. Very unsafe. Very unsafe. Um, which is a shame. It's yeah. a real shame. Oh, by the way, way off topic. Yeah. But Jakar was looking fly this episode. He his outfit was looking spiff and spant. Like, yeah. They've got his costume looking. down. I think they've he was got it down now. Anyway, okay. So after Talia's or <laughs> smut novel, complete <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Commander Sinclair, she basically says, "Okay, we can go confront them. It'll be a terrible risk." And as soon as she's like, oh, it's a terrible risk, I'm like, oh, yeah, Commander's in. Yep. If it's if it's a risk, he's going for it. Oh, and they say something else. So, okay, uh, Jason killed the researcher when he escaped. Yep. And when they ask him about it, he's like, oh, yeah, well, he was the only one who, who knew how to replicate the research results. And, uh, you know, if they don't get me back to the lab, like, that's why they want to get me back to the lab, is so they know what cocktail of drugs was accomplished this and i can never go back so they can't repeat this experiment and i'm just over here thinking what 
what kind of half-assed shoddy research notes are these people <laughs> taking that they have no idea yeah. what cocktail of drugs they gave this dude before he escaped? <laughs> like, you know, research 101, take notes about what you're doing. Everything you, you know? do. You take notes about every about single everything thing you, you do. do. I mean, I worked in a lab for grad school and like grad students come and go all the time. So you had to keep really detailed notes Yeah. because chances are you were inheriting a project from someone and they were going to inherit it from you. And like yep. you, you had to be very specific about what you're doing. So the idea that, oh, if the lead researcher was killed <laughs> and the specimen was missing, we're, we're stumped. Who knows what happened? It's like, guys, <laughs> guys, come on. Well, what kind of cockamamie operation are you running here? Come on, guys. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's what you get when you hire psychics to do a scientist job. These exactly. Not the best scientists. Well, okay. So uh, we're getting towards the end here, but there was one, one, uh, a couple more beats I wanted to mention. Yeah. One was Sinclair transmitting secret messages about like oh clear out security from this floor and don't tell anyone and keep it away from these guys and yeah you know top secret he was of course saying this basically over speakerphone <laughs> to the crowded bridge like he was just talking yeah. to garibaldi on the bridge we see lots of other people in the background and he's just talking over speakers saying like oh yeah don't tell so and so and make mm-hmm. sure to keep it under wraps and it's like guys guys your <laughs> infosec is awful yeah very true. Although at least Garibaldi tried to frame it as like a drill, right? So he tried not to be obvious about it. Gar- Garibaldi at least put a veneer of... It didn't work, though. Even for yeah. a second, the yeah. two psychops were not fooled for, <laughs> for even a moment. They, yeah. In fact, it, immediately after they, you know, one of the leaving guards tells him, oh, it's a drill, and they read his mind and presumably decide he's not lying, the right. very next scene, hard cut, is them <laughs> running right into Sinclair and yes. you know, leading the fugitive out all secretly. Mm-hmm. And by the way, this scene starts with the fugitive, you know, Jason, like stumbling down the hallway, barely able to walk. Yeah. You know, due to the concentrations of keeping all these powers in check. And Sinclair and Talia are walking behind him, <laughs> just watching him. It's like, neither are you going to help him? Yeah. Just like, letting him stumble and couldn't you get a wheelchair stumble. or something, you know? Yeah, or just just put an arm around him or yeah. something. What do you do it? Like, no, he's got it. He's got it. He, he has to do this. He's he's a tough guy. Totally. He can do this. Yeah, he has to do this himself. No, he doesn't. Help him. <laughs> yeah, help him walk. But this leads to the best scene of the show, the, mm-hmm. the climax and the, I don't know, best scene of the episode by far, which was the psychic duel. Yes. Which which was the two psychops psych and Jason <laughs> just putting their hands up and grimacing at each other. And, you know, they did. There was a bit of CGI in this episode. It wasn't just, uh, you know, you yeah. to use your imagination. They, they put some flashy blue lights around uh, Jason to make sure you knew that the psychic energy was, you know teeming out of him and uncontrollable yeah but this was great because uh you know sinclair punches <laughs> oh god what, what, what bester bester thank you yeah bester that does sound it sounds like lester yeah <laughs> bester punches him and that breaks his concentration leaving just his female partner to try and take down jason yeah and jason is like Oh, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, I can disintegrate you with my mind. You can't possibly hurt me. Mm-hmm. You know, you cannot harm me. And then she tries to shoot him, and he disintegrates her pretty anticlimactically. I have to say, she just sort of yeah. shimmered away, and that was it. But then Bester gets up and, and shoots him, and mm-hmm. and clearly injures him. And it's like you just said you cannot be harmed. You just said it's you. You cannot possibly harm me. Yeah, and here you are, you know, being hard. I did like this part though, you know, when he when he says something like, uh, you know, who, I don't remember what it was, but those who have dreamed a dream like I have, something like yeah. that. That was a cool line. There was mm-hmm. some good good dialogue in this. Yeah, yeah agree. You can't you cannot harm me. Immediately gets harmed. Yeah, maybe it's a concentration thing. You know, he was telling her, like Jedi yeah. mind trick sort of thing. You can't harm me. Right, totally. but then he wasn't doing that to Bester, so he was able to shoot him. Yeah, uh, that, that that's a good point. You know, he 
but still it seemed saying you cannot harm me because now i'm focused on you <laughs> still anyway yeah but uh after they get past the, these two these two jerk offs they get him to some kind of spaceship where he can finish becoming and spoiler alert he's becoming a god now again here here in 2021 this is a pretty familiar plot arc and as soon as he did become a god i was like oh my god this is where futurama got it <laughs> because not only you know in their bender becomes a god episode not only do they have a god that looks just like this with you yeah. know the lights sort of flashing around in space uh, it was it was so it was so clear that they were playing off this. So that that's what I was saying about that Citizen Kane moment or mm-hmm. Blade Runner moment when you watch a classic movie and you suddenly remember all the <laughs> all the tropes and the things that were parodying it or playing off yeah, of it. All the things that were influenced uh, by it. Exactly. I you know I'm not I know they didn't invent this plot arc, but I'm pretty sure that Futurama episode was specifically <laughs> referencing this. Yes, yeah. episode. I don't know. That's what I think at least. I think so too. And you know, it's not uncommon for a lot of the writers in those shows to, if not be fans of shows like Babylon Five or the more obscure stuff, but to have friends that were writers on those shows and get oh, some yeah. ideas from them. Oh, I have to assume. You know, I got to assume people who put on a show like Futurama have got to be some oh, yeah. fans. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Plays on so many sci-fi tropes. So then, uh, Omega Jason, God Jason, says to Talia, "Like I only have." one gift to give you Mm -hmm. and it seems like the kind of thing you'd say you know about something like love or (laughs) you know to remember you or you know some sort of esoteric kind of gift like that but no in this case it's injecting you with like psychic energy to give you telekinetic superpowers the only gift i have to give are telekinetic superpowers (laughs) through a beam of light to the face. Just, just noting that. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Not a gentle gift. Yeah. Beam of light straight to the kisser. Straight to the old noggin. Yeah. And and it's not gentle either. It knocks her out. She's out, mm-hmm. son. That's it. <laughs> but later we see that she has telekinetic powers. And maybe one of the biggest plot holes of this episode is in the final scene where Sinclair is talking to Bester. Yeah. And is basically telling him to lie. Yeah. And is is sort of laying out, oh, nobody knows but us what happened to Jason, and we'll just change the logs, and we'll delete the videos. And your partner's not here, so it's just your word against theirs. And it's like, (laughs) does no one remember that these people are psychics? Mm-hmm. This guy works for psychics. How is just how is lying through your teeth a viable plan moving forward? Yeah. It makes no sense. I think the one possible cop out they have for this is that the psychops are supposedly the strongest telepaths in Psychor, and so maybe he has the power to just like keep people out. Maybe, but and the, these are the top dogs. These two that they sent. There's no one back home mm-hmm. who. Maybe you're right. Yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe, maybe these are the the best of the best. Yeah, but I just thought you know that there were other ways they could have. I don't know. Maybe there weren't. But just being like, oh, just tell them, just tell them uh, something else. <laughs> you know, just just lie to them. We'll delete the videos. No one will know. Yeah, it sounded like a resolution that works for non-psychic characters. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. So that was my last comment. It, it yeah, it did seem like everyone forgot that you know, this is an organization filled with psychics. Maybe yes. lying through your teeth is not a sustainable, uh, not a sustainable <laughs> plan here. Yeah. You know, there will be episodes where Bester makes reappearances. I don't know if they bring up this particular episode again, though. I think that might be explored in some of the extended universe stuff uh, with respect to the telepaths and how that's handled. Well, I'll look forward to it. I was excited when you said that you know the the mind control agency or cycle yeah. is uh, you know something they come back to because I yeah. I can see why they would come back to it. It's very it seems like very fertile ground. I found this episode incredibly engaging and intriguing. Mm-hmm. You know, I want I want to learn more <laughs> after seeing it uh, about about like Talia. And, and, yeah, you know, I love it. I love the idea that they're out there making like you know super psychics and uh, <laughs> gonna do 
do nefarious things with them. That's a great, yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's a great, another great world building episode in the first half of the season here. And I think they're starting to do a good job with kind of establishing some of the key story arcs that we're going to see continuing throughout this series. And Telepass is obviously one key story arc and pretty major one in the coming seasons. Um, that you'll see more of, whether it's dealing with Psycor or other elements. But there are going to definitely be... Well, I can see why. I mean, back. this episode kind of established that they're a pretty major deal in the universe. Yeah. And it would sort of betray that idea to forget about them. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, for a bunch of... But yeah, at risk of repeating myself, one of my favorite episodes. Cool. Maybe my favorite. I really enjoyed this one. Yeah, for me, I like the story. I just couldn't get past some of the... <laughs> The uh, wooden acting from, in particular, Ironheart, and that one dialogue that Talia had with the with Commander, kind of. Oh, yeah. that was so bad. That was so <laughs> it was bad. pretty like, bad. The, the, do you know what happens when two telepaths make love? And yeah. Then, and then it's like a ten minute description. Yeah. That, that was, was pretty bad. That was a bit over the that top. That was pretty bad. Like Commander Sinclair, you got to fire a file of like <laughs> uh, HR complaint work. Yeah, seriously, guys, guys, if you're listening, do not narrate in detail what <laughs> you experience in orgasm to your colleagues at work. Especially okay? a boss don't figure. Do yeah, don't do it. It won't work out as well for you as it did for <laughs> Talia. And by the way, you know, she insists that the their sexual congress was excellent. But in general, can you imagine dating... A telepath dating someone that can read minds? What yeah. a what a nightmare. That would be crazy. What a nightmare that would be. Yeah. They know all your thoughts and you the know, sex all better be good. It yeah. better be the best <laughs> sex ever because you know, just imagine everything else. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, but other than that, I, I did like the the story arc overall and I like the introduction of Bester. I think he's a great character and Oh yeah. I'm excited to hear that he's that he's a recurring one. Yeah. Bester is I hope he loses a partner every time. That would be hilarious. <laughs> he does make a few reappearances <laughs> in the coming seasons. So awesome. I forget exactly how many episodes he's in. I think it's like fifteen or twenty episodes overall that he makes some sort of an appearance. So it does come back. That's cool. Well, as per usual, we have spent more time talking about the episode than it <laughs> the runtime yeah. of the of the episode actually is long. So, well, before I we think go, we should wrap it up. Oh yeah, go ahead. Before we go, I think we got to get your favorite character first. I haven't done well, that. My yet. favorite character. Yeah, who's your favorite, favorite character, character this episode? Man, I mean, Talia is is definitely a front runner. That that one scene with sinclair aside i thought she did great this episode so i think i'm gonna go with talia talia all right good choice first time on the board for talia yeah put one on the board for talia exactly (laughs) there we go yeah so that will wrap up this watch through or review i guess of mind war next episode is the war prayer and we see the return of londo and delen in that episode um and we're gonna dig into that in our next podcast so thank you all for joining any last words andrew i only have uh, a few last words and they are good eating to you oh well and the good eating to you